Hello, friends, and welcome to the podcast. This episode is sponsored by Dream Drive. Hey, folks, rent a cool, customized camper van to explore some of the beautiful areas of Japan a bit off the beaten track. Get back to nature, take a hike, go camping, discover rivers and lakes and remote temples and shrines, and even sleep right there. Dream Drive, your hotel on wheels. Hello everyone, this episode is a real feel-good conversation. I speak with an uber-positive and incredibly humble guy, Anthony Griffin. Anthony is an entrepreneur and the founder of Saga Consulting. As he explains it, he helps organizations tell their stories to the world. In other words, communications, either through excellent copywriting, digital marketing, or cross-cultural coaching. Anthony often writes insightful and thought-provoking articles for Kokoro Media on LinkedIn. This is where I discovered his talents. He's passionate about Japanese language learning and writes about methods to improve one's Japanese. We discuss this at length and both offer our suggestions for three basic but culturally impactful Japanese words every beginner of Japanese language should master. The best 45 minutes you will invest today is this uplifting conversation. Direct from Tokyo, this is Now in Zen with Anthony Griffin. It seems that you've gained a lot of traction on social media, especially LinkedIn, due to your quality writing, both in terms of the content that you produce, but also your style and prose is really excellent. Thank you. Yeah. Appreciate that. And you do a lot of writing under the Kokoro Media banner. Probably most people think this is your company. Right. Spoiler alert, it is not. Right. But you have an intriguing story and lesson about new client acquisition in regards to this. Do you mind sharing this backstory? Certainly. So, yes, let me clear the air. This is not my company. They are one of my biggest clients. And fortunately, we have a lot of synergy. So the work that I produce for them is also something that is great content for me to share on LinkedIn. You know, where other clients, maybe I'm doing a lot of work that is proprietary or under a non-disclosure or I can't reveal my association with them. But here, we, we just have this great synergy where we support each other. And by sharing my work, I'm also sharing their brand. Just to clear the air there, now the story of how we met is, is fascinating and, and I wanted to share it because I think it will help a lot of young aspiring entrepreneurs figure out how to get clients. Once I had left the ACCJ, I still needed to fill out my time and reach what I call life profitability. Life profitability? Life profitability. I like that phrase. Oh, great, great. Um, Did you coin it yourself? I coined, as far as I know, this version of it. There's another version that means something else out there, but... What's your version mean? My version is this. So if you're starting a low overhead business like mine, I think it's disingenuous to say, oh, you know, my business is profitable from day one because I don't need an office. I don't need any special licenses or things like that. You don't have an executive secretary. I, I don't, yeah, I don't have, even have an assistant or anything. You know, if you're a writer, a coder, or a designer, you're, you're profitable from the get-go. For me, it's important to have a life profitability goal, which means you are paying for all your bills and having some money to, to put away. 
and then you are actually really profitable. Uh, because as a sole proprietor, your assets are merged. You are your business. For about eight months, I had yet to achieve life profitability. So I had some clients, but I was looking for work. And I- So were you living off savings? Yes. That is a key component to my story. I saved at least almost a year of money. So I were, and this is the kind of money where if I had zero clients, I could still survive and try to keep selling. Yeah, living off the savings, but income was coming in, but I still needed to reach that, that life profitability yeah. point. Uh, one way to fill up the time was I was looking at part-time opportunities. And I see this ad for a recruiter. It said, we're looking for someone who can be a travel writer for this small part of Shinjuku called Arakicho. And I said, I love writing. I've been doing small-scale travel writing for 10 years. I love Shinjuku to death. This, this sounds just like fun, and I can make some money. And it's part-time, so it's not going to interfere with my business. So we meet and we talk, and we realized they don't need me to be at a desk and there all the time. I can meet all of their needs in a client-provider relationship. We eventually created this, this contract, and that is how the Kokoro Media relationship started. And the reason I wanted to share that story is I think when you're starting out, it's important to think unconventionally about business development. And if you see a part-time job that would be better served for the client as a contract situation or a client, offer that to them. Because they save money by not having me in their office and Absolutely. using their resources. Right. I get my freedom and independence, so it's, it's a win-win. So you interview a lot of people on Kokoro Media. Well, what's the most amazing story that you've heard so far? I enjoy them all. I get something out of all of them. But I want to honor your question and choose one. Okay, thank you. <laughs> so, and this is someone you're familiar with, Rochelle, Rochelle Kopp. She's amazing. She's amazing. For the past 12 years, she's been this legend out there. Was there any great quote or comment that really resonated with you? Yes. In the article or in the interview, she mentioned Ichieba Juo Siru. More or less, it means hear one and understand ten. And she was talking about how, especially compared to America, Japanese can communicate more by saying less as, as a cultural yeah. value. High context culture, low context culture debate thing. Right. But before interviewing her, I never knew that expression or that phrase could, could distill that into a concept. Ichieba Juo Shiru. So why was that such a uh, takeaway for you? It distilled down that whole concept of high context communication into an expression that I, I didn't know. And to be honest, I'm very poor at Japanese expressions. I'm very practical with my Japanese. I try to figure out, okay, what do I need to say to get this done? But there are a lot of great Japanese speakers who know all of these like kotowaza and all of these wonderful phrases. Yomoji jukugo and... Gitai go and all that. Thank you. Yeah, I'm horrible at that. I, I guess I'm still trying to survive. So when she uh, brings up those things, I'm I'm always impressed. And she has an article about it. So if you go to the Kokoro Media article and click the link, you can see her article about that concept. Well, this is a very good segue into my standard question. What is your favorite Japanese word which does not have a direct English translation? <laughs> um... You know, is it is it ichi, ichieba juo shiru? 
<laughs> it yes, is now. it is now because it, it sounds better than what I'm going to say. Let me explain it. You might not like it, but I'm going to go with the classic Yoroshiku Onegaishimasu. And here's why. You're actually the second person to bring this up. The first person was Deanna Elstrom, the okay. owner of Somi Insights. That was her favorite untranslatable Japanese okay. word. So, you're not as original as you think, my friend. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> so, well, but what's your what's your reasoning behind that? Why yeah, is that your favorite I'd like, word? After this, I'd like to hear her her reasoning as well. Yes. For me, it's just so mysterious and vague yet versatile. It can mean so many things like nice to meet you. I'm looking forward to working with you. Thank you for your help. You can use it to end an email. You can use it to begin a conversation. You can use it when you ask somebody a favor. I, I sometimes talk about the 80-20 rule or the, the, the Pareto principle and, and this is it. You know, this one word is useful in so many situations. Well, Anthony, in researching you, obviously, I went to your company website, Saga Consulting. Thank you. Yeah, Thank you. And there it described your services as helping small to mid-sized Japanese companies market to global audiences. Absolutely. And I think this is interesting because there are a lot of companies and people in Japan who offer Japan market entry services. And I've interviewed a few of those people on this podcast, but there's not too many people that do the opposite. Are there a lot of small to medium-sized companies that want to expand globally? You know, given the demographic crisis that's coming, that is the shrinking population, and with that, the shrinking labor force, there should be more of these companies. There should be, yeah. There should be. So I, to answer your question, I would say not enough, or not as many as I would like to see, but enough to provide opportunities for small business owners uh, in this space. Is there an opportunity to, because a lot of these small and medium-sized companies, they don't even realize they could expand overseas. Does Saga Consulting, do you ever search out companies that have a very unique product or a very unique offering and say, hey, have you ever thought about dabbling in the overseas market? You know, I do that just casually and networking when I meet new people and things like that. But right now, there's a lot of pull demand, which means, you know, a lot of companies will approach me and say, we want to go abroad. Uh, we want an English language website. You know, how can you help? And what are the basics? So if there's a, a small, medium-sized Japanese company that says, you know, I, I, we kind of need to expand somewhat, what would you consult them on? Here's the first thing you got to do, the second thing you got to do, and how does it work? Sure. So in my space, since it's mostly writing and digital marketing, the first step is having a quality website. You know, a website that reads well, is written professionally, error-free, is responsive, so I'm sure you know a lot of websites in Japan are still designed for Galake or those old cell phones from 20 years ago. Or they're not designed for cell phones at all. Yeah. The first step is, you know, making sure you have a home. Businesses in general rely too much on having their presence on Facebook or social media. Really? Absolutely. That's important. But you have to remember Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, you don't own your audience there correct they own your audience so it's very important to set up a website that has some kind of way to capture your audience 
or someplace for your audience to end up. But don't almost all companies have a, at least a website? I mean, it might be crappy. You know, sadly, there are quite a few Japanese companies, small companies, that just have a Facebook page. That's it. They don't have their own presence. <laughs> Wait a minute. If they're not technically literate enough to have their own website, but have a social media site? That seems like the wrong way around to me. It is, but it's, it's easier to set up a Facebook site. It's all templated. You know,、right. you don't have to design anything fancy. There's a lot of built in audience generation and attraction tools. So if you're just in a hurry to get your product online, it's really easy to set up a social media site where websites, you have to decide are we going to do WordPress? Are we going to do Squarespace?、Um, you know, what pages are we going to have? Are we going to have an email newsletter? Where are the images? You know, there's just it's so much more complicated. What are the major stumbling blocks for Japanese companies when they try to expand overseas? The biggest stumbling block is simply being willing to do things differently. A lot of Japanese companies, big or small, go abroad with the attitude of this worked in Japan, it's going to work abroad in the exact same way. Maybe there are a few countries out there that will work like that, but I'm from America, you're from America. We know it's a huge country, extremely diverse. You can't approach that country with a one size fits all marketing strategy, let alone a marketing strategy based on Japan, which is totally culturally different. So, in other words, Japanese companies need to kind of let go of the reins or, or loosen the reins a little bit and trust you know, marketing professionals and writers to handle their brand in, in perhaps a slightly different way. That's a pretty big leap of faith, though, isn't it? It is. And、uh, usually, at least in my case, I accomplish that with、uh, baby steps. So, what are the initial baby steps? The easiest one to approach would just be copywriting. Let's say the first baby step is getting something translated professionally, which I don't do myself, but if a client wants to package translation with copywriting and marketing, I'll work with someone in my network and、okay. make a package deal. Step one, get it translated. Step two, apply professional copywriting. So, this means establishing a style guide, a tone for your brand, and then actually writing to sell instead of writing to describe on、okay. your website. Sure. And so, after that, then it depends on what the company wants to do. Are, do they have a B2C product? Then maybe we need to look at Facebook or Instagram. Do they have a B2B product or service, which is My specialty, then we're probably going to get a LinkedIn page going, or maybe it's time for YouTube or something like that.、Okay. After the first two steps, it depends on the company. So you're talking about all of the back end stuff. Yes. Being successful, expanding overseas is more than a philosophy of build it and they will come. So, how do these companies move forward and start to generate sales? Good question. Usually, they already have some system or network in place for that. I'm a specialist with kind of the writing and the digital marketing side.、Uh, usually, though, they'll have some partnership or people on the ground there. For now, I just kind of stick with the digital marketing and communication. Sure, as you said, baby steps. So, you know, every journey begins with a step, and you. You point them in the right direction and get them started with some nice foundation. 
Right. And, and what that is, is, you know, that way when they give out their business card or they meet people and they have something to show, it looks professional. When the potential client looks at their business card, goes to their website, they're not going to be turned off by unprofessional copy or right. a non-existent social media presence or something like that. When you first came to Japan, you worked for a Japanese company. I did, yes. Just like me. Yes, that's what, right. What did working for a Japanese company teach you? It taught me everything. And, and granted, it, this, this was an Eikaiwa or English language com- company, so it wasn't exactly traditional, but it was more traditional than most people think. I learned most of what I learned when I started working in the head office as a senior corporate instructor. And that was amazing because first, I learned Japanese at the fastest rate in my career so far because even though it was a language school, if you get in the head office, Japanese is the main language. I could use Japanese every day. Secondly, you just learn how the Japanese office day goes. You know, you start and everybody circles around for the morning meeting. You, the chore. The chore. You, you do that. You, you see how people are, you know, working at their desks and interacting. Yep. And I was fortunate enough to often tag along with the sales team. And so I could see how they, they sold to their clients. I could see how they visited their clients and cared for their clients. Eventually, they would send me on certain projects on my own to visit the client. So I learned what to say, how to enter a Japanese company properly with the wow. right Japanese, the politeness, you know, dealing with the you know, receptionist and finally getting up to the, the CEO. That's interesting. When you were tagging along <laughs> with the sales guys, were they teaching you? Did they say, okay, Anthony, so the first thing you have to do is be patient and wait for them to acknowledge you and make sure your jacket is buttoned and your tie is straight and business cards this way, etc. Did they teach you or was it a little bit just osmosis? I asked. I wanted to know. There's a lot of different approaches to success in Japan, but while maintaining my character, I wanted to do as much as I could to, you know, do things the Japanese way. Because eventually I wanted to do the sales on my own or uh, do the client management on my own. So I would just ask. I would say, okay, what should I say here? Or how should I treat this person? What should I wear in, in this occasion, for example? So I don't think they expected me to be curious about that, but I was and everyone was happy. And eventually they could send me by myself to at least visit clients or do things other than teaching or training or coaching. There you go. Uh, so, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I really learned a lot. And there's a funny story from one of those excursions, if, if you don't mind me sharing. Love stories. Okay, great. Stories is what we're hardwired to accept. Exactly, which also goes back to presentation. I guess just to give you an idea of these kinds of things you learn, I remember going, I can't say the company name, but a big worldwide Japanese company. It was middle of summer. And during the summer, we typically have cool biz. You know, we don't have to wear a suit. We don't have to wear a tie. And for me, at my role at that time, it was okay. Cool biz was good enough. And so I meet the salesperson there, expecting him to also be in cool biz as we visit this client. And I see where this is going. He's there. And he does. At first, he's, you know, he doesn't have a tie. He doesn't have a suit on. And we're going up to the client. We're a little early. And he's like, wait a second, Anthony. And he opens his bag, pulls out his suit coat, puts on his tie 
and then we go in. So I'm like, wow, even in the middle of the summer when we're expected to, you know, be a little bit more casual, there are some clients where you're going to have to just wear a suit all the time. So those little things you learn and, and you can't pick that up in a textbook. You just got to work for a Japanese company. So yeah. that brings me to the next question. You said that you, you know, tried to learn as much as possible about Japanese customs. But I think what you said was I tried to learn how to be Japanese. But you as a foreigner, isn't there merit to keeping your foreignness? Yes. To a certain degree. I mean, if you be- try to become too Japanese, it's actually somewhat creepy. You know what I mean? Yes. And I hope I said I try to be as Japanese as I can. Well, maybe you said I, that. Maybe you did. I hope. I hope. Um, <laughs> because that's, that's my, my message. As much as I can before it becomes creepy. And I've heard uh, probably on your show a few times... Everyone is struggling with that line. Where is that line of being too Japanese and, and losing yourself? For me, I'm kind of stubborn, so it's hard for me to lose myself entirely. In what way are you stubborn? It's a good question. <laughs> um, I guess most people would say persistent. I'm, I'm very persistent if I believe in something or I believe something should happen. Mm-hmm. I'm going to keep, keep at it until it gets done. Yeah. That, that could be a physical activity. That could be studying kanji or that could be growing my business so i'm i'm persistent and persistence is a positive spin yeah stubborn is a little bit negative that's what i often what i say to my salespeople. as i said you know have you followed up with the customer and they're like well i don't want to i don't want to be too persistent i don't want to be shitskoi if somebody asks me three times you know, hey, when is that going to be ready? Hey, when is that going to be ready? I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, 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 I need to hurry up. But some people might think, hey, you already asked me two times. You know, get out of my face. Yeah. So I often tell my salespeople that line between stubbornness and persistence, that's subjective to your counterpart. So yeah. follow up. Absolutely. And, and yeah, I, I kind of joke around saying stubborn, but uh, I'm set in my ways sometimes. Real quickly, coming back, I guess, to how do you find that line between being yourself and being too Japanese? I think it's important to, to pay attention to how people react, how Japanese people react, and what happens after a certain behavior. For example, another brief story, another thing I learned in a Japanese company is, is this whole elevator manner thing. If we visit a client and we're leaving the client, we're getting on the elevator, we've got to do the low bow all the way till the elevator doors close and, and all of that stuff. Yep. You know, so I would emulate that and negative results did not come of that. Those are the kind of behaviors sure. that made the client comfortable dealing with me. I find that line, I guess, by, by feedback and yeah. results. Yeah. Anything else that working for a Japanese company taught you Well, I don't know if you have to work for a Japanese company to learn this, but I think most people know the art of patience when it comes to making a deal or starting a new project or or getting buy-in. Everybody has heard about Nemawashi and the Ringi Show and all of that. You pick up those things as well. It's not just about learning those things, but it's learning to accept those things and to be comfortable with those things to to be comfortable with the fact that when you meet a potential client that might not result in anything for months or even years good point you have to have the knowledge to know that which means you need to have 
other projects going on while you're waiting for this other thing to come around. Right. So a lot of it is just it's conditioning uh, and, and being comfortable and not learning not to freak out when things don't happen on your timetable. And then if, if you're going to be serving Japanese companies, it's great to know what it's like inside one. Uh, that's a great point. Yeah, that's the most. And, and, and that doesn't boil down to one thing. It's, it's just a, a, a feeling. If you know that, you're going to be better able to serve them and bridge them to kind of new ways of doing businesses. And yeah. that's my sweet spot. You know, you have some foreign professionals who are super Western and, you know, it's, it's trial by fire. Come on over, change your ways. And then you have other consultants that are maybe too far on the Japanese side. They're not willing to change enough. I'm in that sweet spot where I call kind of... Uh, or I serve companies that are foreign curious, is how I put it. Uh, you I know, love that. <laughs> that's that's my my sweet spot because of my background. Not that there's anything wrong with that. Not that there's anything wrong with that at all. But that's my sweet spot because I've been on the Japanese side, I've been yeah. on the Western side, and I'm in the middle where I'm comfortable for a Japanese company to start exploring the foreign world. But I also know what's going on in this foreign world, wow. and I know what needs to be done. That's so that's the result. That almost sounds like a sales pitch right oh, wow. now. <laughs> like if I was a Japanese client and you were explaining your services just the way you explained it to me right now, that would open my eyes and make me go, oh, wow, okay, this is somebody that could potentially help me. Great. I better work on that Japanese uh, you know, pitch. I, yeah. I haven't mastered that in Japanese yet. Explore Japan in comfort and ease with Dream Drive. Rent a customized camper van to go camping, take nature hikes, relax at onsens, or just discover the many beautiful places less traveled around Japan. Dream Drive has various camper vans for solo travelers and families and is more affordable than trains and hotels as it's only one price per night. Go to dreamdrive.life to plan your next Japan adventure. Enter the coupon code ZEN and receive a sweet discount when making your customized camper van reservation. Dream Drive, the hotel on wheels. Yeah, you often write about effective ways to achieve Japanese language literacy, Anthony. Yeah. What are some ways somebody can improve their Japanese quickly? Okay, I'm big on this. Space repetitions with a digital flashcard app. You know, capturing yes. those words that you see in your life, that you see on TV or that are in your textbook, putting them into a flashcard app that has a space repetition algorithm to combat the forgetting curve. That, you know, can work wonders. And the more time you can devote to that, the more vocabulary and kanji you can cram into your, your There head. are a lot of apps out there that can help you with Japanese, I mean, immediately, right? I mean, this is yeah. something that you don't oh, have yeah. to go to school for, you don't have to work for a Japanese company for. What apps do you recommend to study Japanese? When it comes to flashcards, there's basically two schools of thought. Wanikani, which teaches you all of the joyo kanji, that's over 2,000, basically what you need to be considered literate in... It's like 2,200 or 2,150 or something like that, right? Something like that, okay, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you can clear 2,000, I think you'll be good. But if you have that, you should be able to read the newspaper. If you use this this app called Wanikani... Wanikani. Wanikani. It's like a fusion of a crab and an alligator. <laughs> uh, that's their, their logo. Oh, okay, so Wani is alligator and Kani is crab. That's it. It looks real, real cutesy when you go to it, but it is effective. The more time you can devote to this and 
more importantly, if you follow their recommended algorithm, okay, you know, some people can burn through all of those kanji in under two years. Wow, it sounds like fun, actually. Now, a lot of people swear by the remembering the kanji books, the Heisig method. But it's not my choice because it Is only... that the method where you break down the kanji by the radicals? It is, but you only learn the meanings in the first book. Basically, it tries to emulate the way that Chinese learners of Japanese go, where they're coming in with all the kanji meaning knowledge, and but they have to learn the sounds and, and things like that. I understood, yeah. For me, having to live in Japan and interact with Japanese all the time, it's useful for me to learn everything at once. So I go with the kind of wanikani application. I'm going to check that out. Highly recommend it. What other services does Saga Consulting specialize in? Great question. Yes, we've only talked about 60-70% of my business, but there is a coaching side as well. I tie it all together under the banner of communication. I help companies communicate, be it in writing or spoken communications. That means if a company has managers or executives who need to go abroad and give presentations, manage meetings, or even just networking, I've developed a business to coach them through that as well. And that also comes in the form of seminars when clients want to send a lot of people abroad or even if their managers need help with email writing or things like that, Mm -hmm. I also have that communications coaching side of the business. When you talk about presentations, are you talking about like a PowerPoint presentation on how to construct it and how to present it to people or like how a public speaking type presentations? A typical example would be a sales presentation that would require a PowerPoint. So that way we can get into the structure, Mm -hmm. you know, proper intro, body, conclusion, but then we can also talk about slide design and avoiding what we all know is the death by power, uh, bullet point syndrome that is so common here in Japanese presentations. Not just in Japan. Okay, that's good to know. <laughs> I guess I've been here too long. <laughs> Most of what I do in this sphere of my business is first I documented how I got to where I am today. And this is coming from someone who in university was super shy. I just wanted to sit in the back of the class and take my notes and take my tests. I didn't want to do presentations. I didn't want to teach. I didn't want to do anything. And somehow here I am making a living off of these things. So I just basically system systematized that. Now I try to train others to go on that path, hopefully in a bit of a shorter time. So for your clients, they are probably dreading giving a presentation in front of a foreign audience because they have to do it in English. Yes. So what are three key pieces of advice that you would tell somebody who's very nervous about giving a presentation? Number one and the most important is simply practice, over-prepare. If you read about how much preparation goes into a TED talk, a high-level TED talk, yes. I mean, the, 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 the numbers are ridiculous. Of course, we're not all giving TED talks, but there's a lesson there. Prepare way more than you need to. That would be number one. Number two is just choose a simple structure. You don't have to do anything fancy. Make sure you have an attention-grabbing opening. Tell a story, ask a question, provide a statistic. Have a well-organized body, maybe three key points. Summarize those points at the end. And then close with, 
you know, an interesting statistic or more importantly for sales, a call to action. So number two is have your structure. Number three, manage your time. Don't worry about trying to make the longest presentation in the world. Western executives, we want the short one. Kiss. Keep it simple. Yes. Yeah. I think the last S people adjust from yes. time to time, but basically that. Yeah. Silly. Silly. Here. Yeah. Um, but yeah. Sexy. <laughs> that one too. <laughs> the third actionable piece of advice right. is prepare a much shorter presentation than you're imagining. Just make sure it's complete. Okay, cool. Anthony, you wrote a really interesting article on LinkedIn called Survival Japanese. Three words you should master for travel. It was like arigato, yep. konnichiwa, and it was sumimasen. Reading, thank you, and pardon me, or excuse exactly. me. Yeah. But those three words are not that unique. Those are probably three words you should learn in Spanish, Swahili. Yes. Do you have three other basic but culturally impactful Japanese words that beginners should master. You give me your three, then I'll give you my three. <laughs> Define culturally impactful. You're just giving yourself some time to think, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's half of it. <laughs> Tough question. I'll give you then one of my three, okay. and I'll explain what I mean by culturally impactful Japanese word. All right. Gochisousama. Gochisousama is a word that you use at the end of a meal. Even if you don't speak Japanese, you're with your Japanese friends or hosts, and you're talking about the meal, they've probably introduced you to some Japanese food, and when you're all done, and if you say Gochisousama, that is a word that indicates being thankful for a meal, you're finished with the meal, you know, it's a, it's a ceremonial word. Yeah. It's a word that carries a lot of weight, yeah. and it's very culturally specific to Japan. Wow. So that's what I mean. Okay. Do you need any more examples, <laughs> Sir Anthony? In fact, that example was too good, and I'm worried about stealing one of your other three, because if gochisousama is one of the words, then itadakimasu must be the other one, right? Well, Detective Anthony, <laughs> I actually had that on my list, but okay. I didn't want to include two eating-related words. So if I had okay. to choose one or the other, okay. I would choose gochisousama over itadakimasu. I just, it's my personal opinion. I just think that gochisousama is a little bit more powerful word in, in those two scenarios. Okay. Bring it on. In that regard, naruhodo is a must. That's a good one, Naruhodo. You know, which basically naruhodo? means, you know, I see, I, I get it. Um, and the reason I chose that one is, as, as you know, when we're engaged in conversation in Japanese, it's important to show that you're following along. And oftentimes that comes with, you know, nodding of the head and things like that. But I think it's also important to vocalize that. And Naruhodo is an excellent way to say, I, I get what you're saying. Please continue. Naruhodo. Yeah. <laughs> Phonetically, it's a fun word to say. Yes, it is. It is. So, Naruhodo? The final one, <laughs> I'll, I'll share something that, I'm, that I wrote about. Now, these words are simple, but they're useful. So, I, I want to give these words as a tip for relationship building in your neighborhood. If you are a regular shopper at the grocery store, your favorite shop, 
and you, you see the same staff member every day. You want to... Move beyond Ogenki Disco. Or even move beyond a, would you like plastic a plastic bag. You know, I think it's important to be part of your community. If you are saying arigato when you receive your goods or whatever it is you're buying, try adding itsumo arigato gozaimasu. Nice. Simple word, nothing special. Itsumo is the word which means always. The staff will notice. That communicates, I recognize you as part of my community, you know, as someone I see every day. And again, you're not going to see most customers doing this. It also moves beyond small talk. Saying, itsumo arigato gozaimasu breaks up the monotony of automatic interaction. Yeah, and I would argue in Japan, where you don't usually have small talk with like the, the registered person at the at right. 7-Eleven, this is how you open up the door. Because when you say that, what happens in my life is next time someone might say, oh, you know, how long have you been into in Japan or, or, you know, something like that. And then the relationship starts to build. Just adding that itsumo to arigato gozaimasu can help you get comfortable in your, like your community. That. As a corollary to that, another, another thing you could say is mata kondo, see you next time. Again, you're not going to see Japanese customers doing that, but going back to our previous conversation between that line of becoming Japanese and being yourself, I think there's more value in being something different, being different than the usual, being yourself and say, hey, I'll see you later, which is mata kondo, say, hey, I recognize you as a person in my life. Yeah. You're, not, you're not a register machine. I'll see you next time. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. Nice. So, I like that a lot. Oh, thank you. Okay, so just to recap. Okay. You had itadakimasu, naruhodo, mm-hmm. and itsumo arigato. Okay, so here's my three. The first one I already mentioned, goshito-sama. Yes, excellent. The second one is genki. Ah, nice one. You can use it in many ways. If you know the word genki, you can just add a couple things to it and create lots of other words. Ogenki deska, or or just genki deska. How are you? If somebody asks you that, you can say genki. Similar to mata kondo, you can also say ogenki de. Yes, yes. See you next time, see you again. So genki is also a word that's, number one, fun to say. And it's also very useful. I'm jealous. I wish I thought of that. Oh, really? Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. I it was a bit of a compromise, but anyway. No, that's a good one. That's a good one. And then the yeah. other one is very similar to your untranslatable word. Okay. Yours was yoroshiku onegaishimasu. It's just onegaishimasu. Onegaishimasu is, let's just say you're a visitor to Japan, but you do know the word onegaishimasu. You could walk into, for example, coffee shop. It looks like all the tables are full, but you're standing there at the entrance and the staff sees you. You could say, onegaishimasu, yeah. which means, excuse me, or please, or acknowledge me, right? Then they show you to the table. You sit down, they give you some water, and you could say, menu onegaishimasu. Yes. Could I have the menu, please? Yes. And then you're looking at the menu. So what are you going to order? Keiki onegaishimasu. You, maybe you could just point at a yeah. picture on the menu and say, onegaishimasu. And you could say that all the way through your transaction. You could give them your credit card and say, onegaishimasu. But I guess when you leave, you would probably say, uh, mata kondo. <laughs> yeah, but I, I, I really want to give you credit for that. I, I really like that one because it shows so much more politeness than what they teach in the textbook, which is kudasai. A lot of people who 
just maybe studied the first chapter of their textbook or coming right. to Japan and saying, oh, kudasai, 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 which is okay, but what you said is much better. So that's, that's awesome. Anthony, you obviously love living and working in Japan. I do. What makes living in Japan special for you? You know, living and working, I just feel it matches my character and how I like to live my life. You really see this a lot in, in business, but I believe it, it applies to almost anything. And there's just such an importance on community and relationships. You know, for business, I'm not a very, I'm not a cutthroat guy. I'm not trying to just get people's money or you do transactional business. I like making relationships with my customers and having long-term win-win relationships where value is created. And that's atarimai in Japanese, as we say. It's, it's how it's done. It's obvious. Businesses are relationships. And if you read the book, The Culture Map, they go into this a lot, how you know, in Japan and other, certain other Asian countries, relationship and business are as one. So that matches my style of how I like to do business and, and how I like to live my life. You know, I like mm-hmm. to have connections with good people that, you know, they can rely on me, I can rely on them. You know, a sense of community yeah. as, as well. And, and that's one thing I didn't really see a lot of in America. It's great that it's so diverse there, but as we see now it's really hard for people to come together. Where here in this society, there are a lot of rules. You know, you you might get slapped on the wrist if you deviate from those rules. But on the other hand, there's there's a sense of, you know, we're in this together. And contrary to popular belief, anyone can join that community. You, You don't have to be Japanese to feel a sense of community here. I certainly do. I, obviously, I stand out, but despite that fact, if I want to actively participate in a community here, I always feel welcome. That's a big part of what keeps me here. When people think of sales, they think about the act of persuading someone to buy their product or service. Yes. But it sounds like what you're saying, the most important thing you can ever sell is selling yourself. Yeah, I, I'm not very good at selling myself. <laughs> So I guess I could rephrase it as this. I sell value or I create value or I demonstrate value. What I meant by selling yourself is just being yourself. Oh, okay. Got it. it. You just put yourself out there and you put your content out there. That's what I mean by selling yourself. If people meet you and deal with you, most people, they're going to believe in you and trust you and you come across as a, a very honest, likable humble guy thank you in this culture that really goes a long way especially for foreigners where we're not perceived as having those characteristics exactly and you you do bring up an excellent point about selling yourself meaning being yourself i was just listening this tech entrepreneur named naval and he mentioned something similar he said you know if if you are yourself you don't have to worry about the competition so much because you are unique No one can copy you. At least while you're a solopreneur, one of the ways you can carve out an advantage from bigger companies is being or selling yourself. So I have to agree with you. Well, Anthony, you definitely sold yourself to me today. Thank you. This conversation we had was very enlightening, positive. I enjoyed the conversation very much. You had some great stories. I'm sure you'll have a lot of success. 
So thank you very much for your time today. No, thank you. You know, I, I again, I listen to your podcast. I'm aware of the caliber of guests that you have. So I'm humbled to be here. And it was just fun having this conversation style. So I, I enjoyed laughing with you. And so thank you. My pleasure. Take care. You too. And that was Anthony Griffin. I told you he is a humble and positive-minded gentleman. I really suggest reading some of his wonderful articles. They can be found at LinkedIn under his name, Anthony Griffin. His blog on his own website, consultsaga.com, or via Kokoro Media at kokoro-jp.com. If you enjoyed this episode, there are many more available at nowandzen.jp. If you're listening on iTunes, please take 8.6 seconds to leave a star rating or 15.3 seconds to leave a review. It always helps. Until next time, thanks for listening and take care.